third week of Advent, uh, and I don't know what your experience with joy is. Uh, when I, uh, it was probably last spring sometime, um, I started on this journey of reading through the Bible um, in a year, and there's a, there's a little podcast that there's an eight-minute little clip every day that does a recap of what you read that day in the Bible. It's called the Bible Recap, and uh, the, the lady that organizes it, her name is Tara Lee Cobble, and so the, the journey is, is that every day you read a section of Scripture. By the end of 365 days, you've read all of the Scriptures, but you've also listened to like just a little bit of a recap with some historical uh, context and theology in there. And every single episode, okay, 365 days, she ends by saying, she talks about God and she says, He's where the joy is. Every single day. So I started doing this last May sometime. And so every single day, I hear the words, he, talking about God, is where the joy is. Doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what's going on. I've shared with you over the last few weeks about some death that I've experienced. It's been really tragic. It's been hard to deal with. It's been sad. Um, But no matter what is going on in my day, I listen to this short little podcast that summarizes what I just read from the scriptures, and I'm reminded that he, God, is where the joy is. It's a powerful statement. And so this, uh, this is our third week of Advent, and the theme is joy. And I'm, I want to talk to you today from uh, Luke chapter 1, which is a very familiar passage of Scripture when we're talking about the birth of Jesus, the coming of Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel. Uh, but I want to talk specifically about the joy that is Jesus, the joy that not only that Jesus brings, but the joy that is Jesus. And so uh, I'm going to pray before we jump into this. And my prayer this morning, uh, I, I think that there's going to be some things that I'll share that might be a little bit of a surprise to you that have to do with joy. And so, and I'm hoping that it challenges all of us in our lives, in the way that we live, but also in the way that we experience joy. And, and, and I want to just point out, like, that experience of joy is not something we experience when everything is just going really, really well or the way that we want to in life, but that the Scriptures are very honest about the, the experience of a Christian, a Jesus follower of joy, is in the midst of just horrible, tragic uh, life circumstances at times, right? And so um, I'm just going to pray that the Lord will speak to us. And that uh, he'll just give us a little bit of a picture of what his desire for our life is. Um, so let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll jump into this. Lord, thank you um, for just the, the truth of, of the, the statement that you are where the joy is. And Lord, all of us this week, we're coming from different life uh, circumstances and different events that have gone on in our week, in the previous weeks and previous months. Uh, And we've all probably have a different relationship with joy. Um, But God, I just pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would speak to each one of our hearts about what joy actually is and what it can look like in our lives. Lord, we we look to you, we honor you, we praise you, we adore you, and uh, we just ask that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to give you a definition for joy, and I want you to kind of hang on to this as we read uh, the text and then talk about 
um, this theme of joy. So a definition for joy is that joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness, which is caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Okay, so joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness, which is caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Okay, so joy is this, it it, it is described as a feeling. Something awesome happens and there's this feeling of joy. That's an aspect of it, okay? But but hold on with me because not all of us have those experiences in our lives on a regular basis. You know, um, Gene was talking about our country this morning. And some of us that would be, are in this room, have had horrible experiences in the country of Canada because of some horrible things that have been done um, by, by leadership, even by churches, that are just absolutely grievous. And sometimes when we talk about a theme like joy, it, it'd be easy to go, yeah, well, you don't understand what I've gone through. You don't understand the, uh, what I've experienced, maybe the, the racism or the hatred or the brokenness or the pain, and so you, you can't talk to me about joy. And I just want to say, as we jump into this, I, like, that's true in a lot of cases. I, I don't know your stories. I haven't experienced what you've experienced. But I want to point out that the Scriptures do understand a lot of the things that we've experienced. When you read the Scriptures carefully and you look at even the context of, of joy, like, the oppression that followers of God experienced and felt was just beyond what a lot of us could fully understand. But in the midst of it, there was this, there was this joy. And so just hang on with me as we talk about joy. I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 39 to 56. And this is, this is right after, so if you're familiar at all with the story of Jesus, um, Gabriel has showed up to Mary and prophesied that she's going to have a baby even though she's never slept with a man. Okay, so it's the immaculate conception, um, the virgin birth, right? So this has just happened, okay? So Mary has just said to the angel, Lord, let it be to me according to your will. And we've talked in recent weeks how she was basically agreeing to step into shame because of that. For her to agree to be pregnant before she was married in those days, she was agreeing to step into being looked at sideways and people treating her poorly, uh, and she, she agreed to that. She said, Lord, let it be to me according to your, your word. And so that has just happened. And where we're picking up the story is literally days after this encounter that Mary has with the angel, she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And this is where we're picking up the story. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, okay, and just listen to the way this story unfolds. It is it's beautiful. Verse 41, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the moment Jesus, who's literally days in the womb of Mary, okay, he's barely a seed, he, he gets into proximity to Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist, and she's six months along, and she just is immediately filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment the seed, Jesus, enters the room. Okay, Elizabeth fulfilled the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. 
I just want to, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but the way that's worded here in Luke chapter 1 is absolutely incredible. It's like, so what Elizabeth says to Mary, he sa- she says, you're blessed just because you believe God would do what he said. You know, what that, that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, that we actually walk in the blessing of God, not because of anything we've accomplished in our own strength or ability, but just because we believe. Mary walked in the absolute blessing of God because she believed. That was all she did. That was the requirement. That was the requirement God had for her was just belief. You know, we're used to having all kinds of requirements put on us and all kinds of expectations, but it's so light. It's so refreshingly light when you read the scriptures and, and, and Elizabeth says, you're blessed by God just because you believed. She walks in this incredible blessing. And then Mary sings this amazing song <clears throat> or poem. It says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down the princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit in this story is impossible to miss. Okay, so he's filling people. He's giving words of knowledge. Somehow, when you read the story carefully, somehow Elizabeth knew when Mary entered the room that Mary was carrying her Lord. Because Elizabeth says to Mary, she's like, who am I that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Somehow God had revealed to Elizabeth that what was in Mary's womb, and nobody knew, by the way, at the time, like this encounter that Mary had with the angel was a private one. So Mary knew, Joseph knew. But Elizabeth, like the Holy Spirit reveals to her, like what is in Mary's womb is the Savior of the world. And so Elizabeth is just, she's given this incredible word of knowledge. She's filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary has just been told that she's pregnant by the angel, and she's just barely conceived when she visits Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has this revelation of who Jesus is. She prophesies it. And here's what I want to point out, and this will be encouraging. If you've ever felt marginalized, if you've ever felt like you're sort of on the outside, this will be deeply encouraging to you. I follow a pastor named Rich Theodos. He pastors in New York City. And uh, he was reflecting on the story of, of Advent, and he points out, he's like, who are these women, Mary and Elizabeth? First off, you need to know that they were marginalized because of their race. So the Romans had come in and taken control of Israel, and the Jewish people were seen as less than. Racism is a big uh, evil that exists today. It's something that gets a lot of attention. These, these were marginalized women because of their race. But even more than that, they were marginalized because of the fact that they were women. And I wanted to show you this. In Luke chapter 3, it's, it's a brilliant um, picture of what God is like and how he relates to us. In Luke chapter 3, there's a list of all of the who's who of the day, okay? It's, it talks about Roman, uh, the, the Roman emperor Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod Antipas, Philip, who's Herod's brother, who ruled over a place called Eturia and Trachonitis, Lysanias, and Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. So if you look at Luke chapter 3, there's in verse 1 and 2, there's a list of all of these really important men, okay? 
that were rulers, that they, they oversaw certain areas. They were super important. Some of them were Jewish. Some of them were Roman. They were all really important. But none of them get this revelation from God about who Jesus is. Like, it is a powerful uh, revelation of Scripture that, that God reveals his plan to, to Mary and Elizabeth, these very simple people that had no influence in their day at the time. That's who God chose to reveal his plan to. Like, what does that teach us about the brilliance of God? You know, I don't know about you, but when I read and, and, and see things like that in Scripture, it just makes me, it's like a reminder to me that, like, God doesn't think the way that we think. You know, we think things need to be done a certain way and that, you know, people that are in positions of power need to, to, to do certain things and be certain. And that God, with the biggest plan that he's ever had, Jesus is the biggest plan of God. He is plan A, and it gets revealed to Mary and Elizabeth, people who in their day didn't have very much reputation. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're filled with joy. And Mary, she sings this beautiful prophetic song about what Jesus is going to accomplish and who he actually is. But it teaches us something incredible about this God that we serve that thinks very differently than the way that you and I think. When, when the world runs according to the way that God desires for the world to run, it looks very, very different. There's no oppressive abuse of power in an unhealthy way. God actually, he lifts up the humble. You know, we see in Mary a woman who was just saying, Lord, I just surrender to you. Your will be done. If, if you say it, I'm okay with it. I'll go with it. So it just shows us this incredible, gracious, all-powerful God who does things very differently than the way that, that we see things being done in our world today. And so I want to point out three things about joy uh, from this passage. And the first is that Jesus is the ultimate source of our joy. Jesus is the ultimate source of our joy. So Jesus, when he comes into this story... He's the source, okay? So he's just days old in the womb of his mother. He gets even close to um, his aunt Elizabeth. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and Elizabeth declares there is joy, right? So Jesus is the ultimate source of our joy. But if we go back to our definition, and you can just put that up on the screen for a second, Brian. Joy is an emotion of great delight or happiness, which is caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. So we experience joy not just as Jesus' followers. You, you experience joy even if you're not a follower of Jesus today. It is possible to experience joy. You know, there's, there's lots of events and things that go on in our lives that cause joy. Um, I'm putting Don on the spot. But Don, was there, was there an event that happened in the spring of 2011 that caused joy? <laughs> in the spring of 2011, was there an event that caused joy? What was that? The Bruins won the cup. I didn't tell Don I was going to put him on. The, I was curious to see if he would just be that quick, but he is. I, I looked it up. So um, Boston Bruins, we tease Don a lot about his love for Boston Bruins, right? He always wears a hat. And if you want to get Don riled up, just tell him you love the Leafs, okay? Uh, you get him riled up. But he experienced joy when his team won the cup. And if you meet Don anywhere, he's usually either wearing a Boston Bruins hat or a jacket. He wants you to know he loves the Boston Bruins, right? So as a Boston Bruins fan... He experienced joy when the Bruins won the cup. You all got joy thinking about Don's joy back in 2011 just now, right? Like, yeah, I could just see John, yes, right? He was just pumped, right? Uh, it was an experience, or, or like a new relationship is a cause for joy. If you've ever gotten into a new relationship with somebody 
and there was still just all of the hope of what that relationship could be, it caused joy. Just the anticipation of a new relationship caused joy. Maybe even thinking about it now, you're like thinking about a possible relationship and you're feeling feelings of joy. When your child experiences success, you experience joy. Maybe getting a new job or the idea of a new job, it just it gives you a sense of joy. For me, it's going on an adventure. I just posted a, a YouTube video because I compiled all of the footage I had from this summer of this Devil's Crater hike that I did with Justin and Dave and Malachi and, and Stella. Uh, we had a blast up in the northern boreal waste, wasteland wilderness. It was incredible, right? It was amazing. And, and like just compiling, I was going through all the footage, and it just gave me this sense of joy. I was like, that was so awesome. Like that experience, like going on, like down rapids in the canoe, like it just gave me joy. And so what is it for you that causes you joy? Okay, I've given a couple examples, right? What is it for you that causes joy? I want you to think about that. But then I want to bring your attention back to the fact that Jesus is our ultimate source of joy. So you can go back to that slide, Brian. Jesus is our ultimate source of joy. And I don't, want to be a, I don't want to be a downer, but all of those other things that cause us joy, they're temporary. Relationships don't always last. New cars get old. The Bruins will never win a cup again. No, I'm just joking. I couldn't help it. I wasn't planning. That was just off the... <laughs> it's not fair when somebody on stage says that because he can't get up and, 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 and fight back on it. They probably will. They're a great team. But honestly, the, all of those things that cause us joy, right, they're, they're temporary. We can't, they're not guaranteed to be eternal. And so what the scriptures teach us, like when Jesus enters the scene, there's joy. But the difference with this is that that joy is eternal. So when you have an encounter with Christ, when you come into a relationship with Jesus, you can be confident that this, this joy is an eternal. It's not going to go away. Jesus doesn't change like our new car changes. Or like I was thinking about this trip that I got to do this summer. There's going to come a day where I'm not able to do a trip like that. It was pretty treacherous okay? There were some pretty difficult parts of that. There will come a day in my life, sadly, where I won't be able to do those kinds of trips. And if that's, if, if that's like my main source of joy, how sad when I can't do that anymore. So when Jesus, as a Christian, as a Jesus follower today, if you're listening to this, like Jesus is our ultimate sense of joy. And the reason that's important is because Jesus is eternal, whereas all of the other stuff fades. All of the other causes for joy, we can't hold on to that. It's not guaranteed. I'm just going to read a few verses uh, in a row, and, and it'll be up on the screen, that have to do with joy. And just listen to how people that love God talked about joy. So this is from the Old Testament. It was before Jesus. It was when people looked forward to the, the promise of the Messiah. But listen for um, how joy was their source. It says, in, in Psalm 4, verse 7, it says, You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So this, this psalm writer is saying, for, people have lots of grain and wine, and there's a, there's a bit of joy there, but God, you've put more joy in my heart than all of the grain, all of the wine could ever provide, because that stuff's temporary, but joy from God is not temporary. Psalm 34, verses 4 and 5 says, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. So we all face troubles. We all face difficulties. We all face... You know, just things in our lives that are, are just hard to cope with, hard to understand, hard to fathom. And what the scriptures are saying is, but when you look to God, 
you'll be radiant with joy. Psalm 67 verse 4 says, let the whole world sing for joy because you govern the nations with justice and guide the people of the whole world. When God is in charge, there is joy. We've all experienced the corruption that happens when human beings are in charge of all kinds of other human beings. We've all experienced the the grief that that causes. And what the scripture writers look for is they're like, but for those that actually surrender to God, the promise of God is that there's a day coming where God will fully reign. But as Christians, we, we get to actually experience a taste of that now. When we surrender to Jesus, that's why the statement, Jesus is Lord, is so important to the Christian because it's, it's the statement of, he's, he's not just my Savior, He's Lord. I've surrendered my life to Him. And when you're surrendered to the boss that is good and kind and merciful and just, it is a source of joy. Psalm 84 verse 12 says, O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. And then Psalm 119, verse 1 and 2 says, Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all of their hearts. And so the joy, so the, the point is, is that Jesus is the ultimate source of joy. And, and here's what I want to just give you a little bit of a picture of. Do you, do you know what I mean uh, when I say a default setting? Anybody know what a default setting is? Kind of some nods. Okay, so a default setting is, is the setting that your computer goes back to unless you change it. Or in your car, there's default settings. I find it annoying because I've got, I've got Bluetooth on my phone that hooks to my van. And so whatever was playing last on my phone, if I get in my van, it'll start up. So this is one of the annoying things that happens. If I, sometimes when I study, I listen to the sound of rain. Okay, so if I'm like preparing for a sermon, I've got an app on my phone that's just like, just sounds like rain. Um, and it's great because it blocks out the noise of a coffee shop but it's really annoying when I get in my van and it just sounds like rain inside of the van, okay? (laughs) But that's kind of like it's a default setting, right? Like that's what comes on unless I change it. And so joy, joy is to be the default setting in the life of a Christian. So that doesn't mean we don't experience grief and anger and sadness and, and all kinds of other emotions, but what we go back to is this joy And that only makes sense when Jesus is the source of it. It only makes sense when you've encountered Christ. But it's what you go back to. It's the default setting in the life of a Jesus follower. And and I want to encourage you, if that's not your experience, to actually, and the reason I read the scriptures with us on a weekly basis and, and, and read, you know, what God followers have said about joy is because we need to have God's word in our hearts because it reminds us of what's true. And when you're filled up with truth, from God's word, then the default setting of your life becomes joy. After you're done the grief, after you're done the difficulty or the sadness or the other emotions, the default setting is joy because our hope is in Jesus. Because we recognize who he is and what he's promised about what he's going to accomplish. This isn't up on the screen, but do you know that when it talks about Jesus going to the cross in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. That the cross was the greatest act of, of evil in some ways in human history, but at the same time, it was the greatest act of love ever done. And the reason Jesus went to the cross was because of his anticipation of joy, of the accomplished mission that God had sent him to accomplish for the world, to be the savior of the world. So joy was awaiting him, and so he endured the, the shame of the cross. Second, 
Joy is contagious. Okay, so Jesus is the ultimate source of our joy. And secondly, the joy of Jesus is contagious. On Tuesday mornings, we meet from 7 till 8, and we, we pray through whatever text we're going to be preaching on Sunday. We, we pray through it. But we usually read it twice. And we actually, we, we read what I read to you uh, about Mary and Elizabeth and being filled with the Holy Spirit and joy. And I could actually sense joy in the room as we talked about it. There was just this sense of like, it was just exciting to see God at work, and it was encouraging, and it was like, and it turned our hearts towards Him amid sometimes the discouragement and challenges of life. Like you could, it was like joy was palpable. You could feel it. And joy is contagious. When you get around somebody who's experiencing joy, it's contagious. You know, I was pointing out Don with Boston Bruins. That caused all of us to have joy, just thinking about his love for that team. We were having fun about it. Like, there's something contagious about it. We, when the room laughs, like, other people's laughter sometimes causes laughter in yourself. I watched a, a YouTube video recently, and it was just like a social experiment, but this guy, he was on a subway. It was super busy, so it was all kinds of people, and he had, a, he had his phone out, and he just started laughing. And, he was just, like, and then he just like, and increasingly got laughing harder and harder and harder. And somebody was recording, and there was people on the subway that were like trying to hold back their laughter. And, and then by the end of it, like, everybody around him was just all laughing, and they didn't even know at what. I don't even know if there was anything on his screen. But what he was laughing at was just contagious. People couldn't help themselves because they were enjoying his enjoyment. Right? And, and joy is contagious. And so as a follower of Jesus, when we're filled with him, when our hope is in him, it's also eternal. It's not just a temporary kind of a joy. This is going to be a funny uh, jump. It it, it feels funny to put it in here, but I've reflected on the fact that um, I, when I'm asked to do a funeral, I've talked to a lot of pastors that hate doing funerals or, and and weddings. Um, In my experience... Are you awake? Are you awake? <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't planned. We're good? <laughs> Can you still hear me? That was the default setting. <laughs> my default setting is loud. That is one of my default settings. Are we good? Everyone's okay? Nobody? Okay. Um, I've reflected on, on the fact that for some reason, uh, there's, this, there's this joy amid sadness when I'm asked uh, to do a funeral. And the reason why is because I know that funerals, potentially, are some of the saddest places that people gather. It's probably, the, and, I'm, and you know, if you've been around here long enough, you know I'm an emotional person. There's been many times where I'm preaching, uh, talking about somebody either who I've lost or talking about grief, and I get emotional. I start crying, right? You, you know that there's, there's, an, there's this emotional side of me that I just I experience sadness at a level where I can't contain it sometimes. But there's also this joy, and I've, I've reflected on it, and the reason I want to include it with this point about, uh, about joy being contagious is because I've noticed that at a, a service, especially where there's lots of people that are not regular churchgoers and maybe not Jesus followers, if, if I'm asked to, to speak at a funeral, the only thing that I can think to do is to point people to Jesus. And there's this joy that I experience in doing that because I watch the sadness, and I watch the grief, and sometimes I experience it myself. Sometimes when I get up to speak, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of that. I feel emotional. But there's this joy that I have when I get to point grieving people to Jesus, because I know that if people encounter Christ, that Jesus' joy 
becomes our default setting. So that when we have to go through life after that, that he becomes our, his joy becomes our default setting. And so when I think about joy being contagious, there's this, I've, I've just reflected on that where I thought, why do I, uh, why, why do I feel so honored or feel so um, even filled with anticipation at doing a, a funeral? It's because I feel like it's one of the best places to just say, hey, like, yes, this is brutal and it's tragic and it's horrible. And so, in some cases, the death shouldn't have happened. But we can look to Jesus, who is the ultimate source of joy. He, he's our hope. He's our joy. And, and, and his joy is actually contagious. It rubs off. And so when we walk in that joy, it rubs off on other people. And lastly, and this is where I think this might be a little bit surprising to you, and uh, this is, I want to close with this point, and I want you to think about specifically how you can apply this, because this is where the biggest application can come in. So joy is both action and feeling, okay? Joy is both action and feeling. So the definition for joy, I don't know if you noticed, it's, a, it's, it's described as this feeling we have when something really good happens. That is an aspect of joy, right? So we, and you can experience that feeling when you, when you come to understand who Jesus is, there's a feeling of joy. When you understand what he's done, when you understand his love for you, there's this feeling. And so in Scripture, there's tons of examples, but a couple here are um, when Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who found his lost sheep, he describes that shepherd as experiencing joy. Remember that parable? The, the shepherd that goes out and he finds the lost sheep. Well, when he finds that sheep, he's overcome with joy. In that same set of stories, Jesus tells of a woman who lost a coin, and she searched high and low, and she finds the coin, and she's filled with joy, right? And so it's, it is a feeling. The disciples experienced it after they witnessed the ascension of Christ in Luke chapter 24. Like after the disciples watched Jesus ascend, and he had given his commission for what they were to go do, they experienced joy. It was this feeling that came to them, okay? That's how we're most familiar with joy, is this feeling. It's almost like something we can't control. We're like, we're overcome by it. But in most cases, joy is action. And this is where the application comes for us. If you're here today and you're a follower,